you're listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. This podcast exists to encourage, empower, and equip you to share your story, and with it, the gospel. On today's takeaway, Kip and I sat down to discuss what the true gospel looks like compared to the counterfeit ones. We talk about the three main false gospels that exist in today's culture, what they look like, and what dangers they bring to Christianity. So as you heard in the intro, we're going to be wrapping up our discussion about the purpose of Mountain and Valley. And for the next few takeaway episodes, we'll be talking about how to share your faith with different people groups like neighbors, friends, family. But first, let's answer the question, what is the gospel? Oof. Big question. Big, scary question. It shouldn't be scary, but I don't know. Um, Most people just don't know what the gospel is. That's why we're here to talk about it. Um, I will say before we discuss what the gospel is, I think we need to look at some some statistics and some some false gospels, um, just because I think it's important to know what people believe and why it's not the gospel first. How to spot the counterfeit to recognize the real thing. Although I will say I, I've heard I've heard it said sort of like this. Um, you should just be so familiar with the real thing that when you see a counterfeit, you're like, oh, that's not the real thing. So, But both and are, that, are very good. That's what I was trying to say, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard it both ways, so I don't know. My my way was wrong. The way you said is the only way I've heard it. So, <laughs> um, all right. So some statistics. So getting ready for this episode, I looked up uh, some Barna research. If you're not familiar with Barna, they are. I think they're a Christian group. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, someone correct me on that, please. Um, I'm pretty sure Barna Research is a Christian group. They they go out and find stats on things that people believe. Um, about all sorts of different things pertaining not just to the gospel, but things in the Bible, um, as well as, I think, some political stuff. But anyway, um, an article that I found is called What Do Americans Believe About Jesus? Five Popular Beliefs. And we're going to have that article linked in our show notes if you want to check it out yourself. But what it boiled down to was this about 87% of millennials believe Jesus was a real person. That's just millennials. Um, Gen Xers, it was 91%. And for boomers, it was almost 100%. It was really, really way up there, um, which is really cool to see. Um, However, there's no stats right now on Gen Z. Because, you know, I'm, I'm not totally sure on the ethics of this, but Gen Zers are still in middle school and high school. So I think they kind of wait to pull stats on them until they're considered adults. So in the college and workforce. Yeah, yeah. Once you're 18, a legal adult, that's when they start looking at that stuff. Which makes sense if you think about it in, in light of this, because when you're in middle school, you don't have like a firm grasp of what you believe just yet. You think you do, but you so so <laughs> definitely wrong. do not. All right, now that's just that's just people who believe that Jesus was a real historical figure who existed. Um, 
but when we get down a little bit more into like who he was, what his ministry was, it gets a little bit more thin. So 56% of millennials do not believe that he was sinless. Uh, for Gen Xers, it's about 49% don't believe that he was sinless. Now that's important uh, in this conversation of the gospel because a key factor in the gospel is the fact that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life to exchange for our sinful lives. And the way that we view Jesus uh, in terms of his deity really determines what we believe about the gospel. Um, you know, if you don't believe that he was sinless, therefore you don't believe that he was God, then you take away the meaning of the cross entirely. Yeah. Um, now, again, that's that's kind of vague. Um, I, the one thing that I don't like about this research is that it doesn't really ask people exactly what they believe the gospel is, what the, the purpose of the gospel is, um, you know, why Jesus died on the cross, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it doesn't account for other generations like Gen Z um, just because they – they weren't in a place where they could get those stats just yet. And, of course, Generation Alpha, who knows? They're little babies. They don't believe anything right now except that they are hungry and want to play. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, just, I, I wish this went a little bit more in depth. Um, but what I do want to point out is, just while we're still on the statistics, is that if we see this downward trend of about 10% from boomers to Gen X and then from Gen X to millennials. It stands to reason that we're going to trend down another 10% from millennials to Gen Z. I think it's going to compound. You think it's going to compound? It's going to go up? No. Or you think it's going to double down? Compound in a negative way. So the the increased amount yeah. of lack of belief is going to compound. So instead of just being 10% mm-hmm. trending downward, it, I think it could jump to 20 or 30%. Okay. I mean, that's reasonable and it, it might happen. Uh, you know, I, I work with Gen Z as a volunteer uh, in a student ministry and, you know, there's a lot of relativism that's, that's running rampant in their lives. Like whatever you believe is true is true for you. It's not true for anybody else but you. Well, and I feel like it stems from the millennials and they look like every generation typically looks up to the one before them. Millennials have kind of said, no, we're going to look to ourselves and we're going to right. make our own decisions and we're not going to learn from other people. Let me take that back. There's some aspects where they want to learn from the past in, in positive ways, but there's a lot of just ignoring certain aspects of what other generations have gone through to fit their own agenda. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to carry over into the Gen Z where there's going to be more of this. I don't have to look at what you did or went through to learn for myself. I'm going to do it my own way. And Mm -hmm. like you said, it's going to be a lot of relativity as in that worked for you millennials. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to figure it out on our own way. I think think you're right though. Um, But I I think something that we need to address and ask ourselves is, you know, what what about the other st- statistical groups here? Like, what about the other 50% of millennials who don't believe that Jesus was sinless? Um, what do they believe? 
you know, and, you know, we need to really ask the question, like, even this group of people who say that they believe that Jesus was a real person, what did they, what do they believe the gospel is exactly? And I think that we're about to get into this, but I think that the reason we're going to see a massive downward trend uh, happen with Gen Z in, as insofar as Gen Zers who call themselves followers of Jesus is because a lot of the other generations believe these false gospels. They don't believe the true, pure gospel of Jesus. They believe something else, and Gen Zers are seeing that, and they're they're recognizing this doesn't really line up with everything you you guys claim. Um, so let's let's look a little bit into that. What are these false gospels that are running rampant in the U.S. right now, in some other countries, but primarily? in the u.s so there's three primary um the most well-known i think and most discussed is going to be the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel um and that's just pray about it ask for it god will give it to you kind of mentality whether that's health prosperity material items it's a very selfish gospel which i think you'll come to see is a common theme yeah i i think of the the ones are about to list people are most familiar with the prosperity gospel um we talk about it a lot in 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 our churches in our in our christian communities and you know it's just this health and wealth gospel where it's just if you believe in god then, then god will bless you and you know, he will heal you of all your diseases and, and ailments and he'll he'll give you money and take care of all your, your needs and desires, you know, just, just knock and you'll receive um, all these things. You know, if you tithe 10%, you'll get 100% back and then some and just all these crazy things. I'm not going to go too into this, but, um, you know, the prosperity gospel is just boiling down to this idea that if you believe in God, then God's going to bless you with physical things. Yeah, and I, from my personal experience and people I've talked to, it seems to be the most opposing. So you're either you love it and you really are into it, mm-hmm. or you see it for what it is and you're appalled by it. Yeah, There's not really this, well, it's okay mentality from my personal experience and that may be out there, but generally speaking, a majority of those are either for or against it. There's not really a gray area, which, um, you know, the, the next one that we found in doing some more research the self-help gospel, it seems like there's a fine line that people are willing to walk here. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say real quick before we do move on to the self-help gospel, there's a, a really cool documentary on Netflix that you can watch if you want to learn more about the prosperity gospel here in the States. And it's called, uh, the American, the gospel. American gospel. Yep. The American gospel on Netflix. So yeah, the self-help gospel, uh, I think out of all the ones we're, we're going to talk about here, this is the most dangerous because it's the most subtle and it, cre- it's creeped its way into our churches and it's so hard to recognize it is, and I know people personally that I think very highly of that have fallen into the trap of sitting under teaching that is self-help or another term called the personal gospel. 
and it's eye-opening from an outsider's perspective to see somebody that you trust that you acknowledge to be sincere in their faith start to go down that path unknowingly it's just there was a sermon years ago and i can't remember who taught it but they talked about how satan will take a truth because he he knows truth the enemy knows scripture they recognize yahweh as who he is but they'll take this truth and they'll twist it ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. If you think about a 360 degree circle and if you twist it 1%, that's that's pretty close. That's almost dead straight. But over the course of a mile, that dead straight is, you know, acres away. And so the enemy is very good at just ever so slightly twisting it over time and it becomes a lot harder to recognize just with the subtlety that we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. And so like what, what is the personal gospel, the self-help gospel? And you know, there's, there's not a, a very distinct definition other than it is a gospel that is, is personal and it's a gospel that is about you. Um, it's, it's, motivational teaching where it's all about like you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps um you know it's it's like if you ever hear a teaching on david and goliath this is the one that's the most popular i think where it happens you'll hear a pastor or a preacher or teacher take the story of david and goliath and talk about it in a way that it's about you defeating your giants or they'll take the Red Sea parting, and it's all about you parting the Red Seas in your life, or God helping you part the Red Seas in your life. And it's all about you making your way through difficulties in life, and God helping you get through things in your life, and taking, like, like the biggest thing, the biggest problem with it is taking Scripture and taking moments in Scripture and making it about you personally, instead of what that story is actually about. I feel like one of the most commonly false statements associated with this is God never gives you more than you can handle. Oof. Yeah. And that's something that I had to examine in my own life a while ago, thankfully that I heard, I was like, Oh yeah, God, he, he wouldn't, why would he? And in reality, I've come to disagree with that statement wholeheartedly if God never gave us anything we could, couldn't handle, what would be the need? Why would we need him? Yeah, that, no, that's great. So we're going to add another article in here um, that's on intersectproject.org. Uh, <clears throat> it's written by this guy, Stephen Madsen. Um, Shout out, Stephen. Yeah, it's really cool. But that just reminds me of something that he wrote in here, and it says... When these things become the primary emphasis, we are no longer making disciples of Jesus. We are peddling a form of religious therapy, preaching a message that cultivates me-centered churches rather than Christ-centered churches. And I think that just that hits the the net on uh, the uh, hits the nail on the head. Absolutely. Of what we're getting at here with the uh, the personal gospel, it's that you know it's not about Jesus anymore. It's about you. And it's, it's taking scriptural truths and making them about you personally. 
So if you're sitting under a teacher, pastor, or anyone who makes you the center of the gospel or the teaching point week after week after week, I'll just go ahead and say you're in a dangerous place. Yeah. All right. Well, the next one. This one's tough to talk about, guys. It's the least favorite to talk this, about. This is why we saved it for last. Um, <laughs> I think we saw this one rear its ugly head a little bit more this last year than ever before. You can say that again. <laughs> and that is the political gospel. So, care to explain? I will do my best. Because I'd rather not try. <laughs> this is the one, for, I'm going to be straightforward and honest. Um, if you want to learn more about it, like do some research, read this article that we've linked to in our show notes. But this is this is one I, I have a hard time really explaining. I understand it, but <laughs> let me see if I can explain it. Uh, essentially... It's it's where you're saying that a a, a president, a political figure, um, a, a government, some kind of political movement is your savior, and that's that's it in broad strokes terms. But the hard reality is that if if there's a political figure who's using scripture, they're using Jesus, they're trying to use the gospel to get the church on their side, that's when it's the most dangerous. Yeah. I'm going to go a little bit further into that. While that's a very simplified explanation, there's a, a few more specifics on what this looks like. And that looks like not necessarily verbally speaking or even consciously acknowledging this person or this platform as your savior. It goes into the mindset often of, well, this this person fights for Christians or this mm-hmm. organization is all about the church and you're putting whatever that is on a pedestal in place of God rather than saying, you know what, God, you're in control, you're sovereign. No matter what the situation is, I'm going to trust you. It's often I'm fearful of what's going to happen. This looks like the best scenario, so this has to be God's guy. And it could be, but often people that fall under this political gospel, subconsciously, I I firmly believe a lot of it's subconscious, but that doesn't make it right, are putting this person, this government, this organization, whatever it may be, in their life as an idol. Yeah, that's good. So I've been reading through um, First and Second Samuel recently. Over the course of a few months, actually, and I keep coming back to this idea that there was no king in Israel. You know, God just kept reminding them, it's like, you don't you don't need a king, a ruler over you because you have me. And, you know, so often we, we find ourselves in that same situation where we try to put a political leader on the throne instead of putting the rightful king on the throne, and that is King Jesus. And that's, that's a pretty unpopular opinion. I actually, I shared that with a few people last year during all of the election madness that was happening. And I got some weird looks and it's just like, look, honestly, if you want to call yourself a follower of Jesus, believe it or not, that's a strong political statement and not in the way that you think it is. Right. It doesn't mean that you're a Republican or Democrat. It means that you've put Jesus on the throne because the whole thing where jesus came and and 
gave himself up was so that he could become the ruler over our lives. It's so that he could put himself back onto the throne of our hearts. And, you know, ultimately that's what's going to happen when he comes back. He's coming back to reign. He's not coming back to restore a specific nation or, or government into place. He's coming back to put his own rule and reign into place. Yeah. And the, the danger with the political gospel as well with the others that we've mentioned, the prosperity and the self-help is you're putting a flawed person or a flawed mentality um, in the place that only the blameless savior, Christ, the Messiah can go. There's no other substitution. Nothing compares. Nothing comes close. Uh, Political party, uh, government as a whole self-help that you can do this or wealth and physical health none of it can replace the god-shaped hole in all of us and the need for a savior of not even the world but the universe yeah well before we move on i just want to point out two other things really quickly so one, I just want to say, you know, I know there are a lot of people, um, a lot of a lot of church leaders who fall into one of these three categories, and I don't believe that, for the most part, they have ill intentions. Um, at the end of the day, I, I believe all of them are are people, and that they are wanting to help other people know God. I don't think they have a full understanding of who God is, what scriptural truth is, or what the gospel is, but I think they have good intentions. I honestly struggle with that because without naming specifics, because that's not what this is about, but there are a few specifics that come to my mind specifically. I would hope a specific is specific. Anywho, that I I do think that there's some malicious and malicious intent there unfortunately and it's not shouldn't be a surprise because we're fallen people and so while you can hope and i do hope and 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 pray that there's not in a negative intent there i can't help but think that in some rare cases there is that's fair. There might there might be some really rare cases where people are just like they're, they're out to hurt people. Right. It's totally possible. Or just um, taking advantage of a religion that they may not have any true belief in. They just see as an opportunity to to have a platform or to to make money. Whether any of these go- fake gospels have monetary gain to someone who is manipulating it. Yep. Which is totally fair. But I will say, kind of going off of that just a little bit farther, um, if if you're familiar with one of these people, if you're sitting under one of these people, then open up your Bible, get get scriptural truth backing you up, talk to them, uh, you know, do what Matthew 18 says, like confront that person in private and talk to them and get things straightened out. And then, then if they won't listen, then walk away. Yeah. Just walk away. And then ultimately just be praying for them. Yeah. Like they at the end of the day they are a human being and God loves them and Jesus died for them too. So be praying for them so that they can turn away from these false gospels and turn to the true gospel. 
I would also add that when approaching someone, do it with grace. Um, the same grace that's been extended to you through Christ, we should extend to them. That doesn't mean you agree with them. That doesn't mean you have to like it. But we should be gracious in that. Yeah, that's good. And one other thing to point out before we move on and talk about what the actual gospel is, the moment we've all been waiting for. Um, you know, all of the, all of what we've just discussed is primar- primarily based in the United States. Um, this looks totally radically different in other countries. In fact, um, I've been reading a book called An Invitation to World Missions by Timothy Tennant um, for a missiology class that I'm taking right now. And he points out that, you know, in the recent past, I want to say the last hundred years, the almost the center of missions and the center of Christianity has been in the United States. You know, a majority of, of missionaries going out into other countries has come from the United States. Um, a majority of, of Christians in the world populace has been centered in the United States. However, that has shifted, and that is no longer the case. Um, we're seeing larger centers of Christianity pop up in the Middle East mm-hmm. and in Asia. And, you know, that's just something to keep in mind is that, honestly, we're, we're moving into territory where our country is not a majority Christian country. And I know that's kind of scary to think about, but I want you to think about it as I am now living on the mission field. And so now I have a... a a stronger reason now more than ever to fully understand the gospel and to share the gospel with my neighbor. Yeah. It's so it's always been something of priority or it should be, but it's a different level now. So 50 years ago. Yeah. Just 50 years ago. I'm confident you could have more fruitful conversations about the gospel than today. Even with the knowledge that we have and the different experiences that we've learned from techniques that may not be beneficial or the strategy. I hate to talk about it like this, um, but I don't have another word. Strategies on how to initiate conversation, although that sounds schemeful and that's not what it should be. It's more difficult today. Yep. I would imagine, granted, I haven't been alive 50 years, so I can't say that from certainty or from personal experience. But it's just from talking with other people that have been, that's a whole different experience today trying to share your faith in the gospel. We talked about this in the last takeaway, but cancel culture is such a, a hard thing to overcome that there are people who are fearful to say anything today, but it's more important than ever. So when you're talking and and being intentional with your words and you're standing up against the, the fear of persecution, what is the actual gospel to share? All right. So the gospel pure and simple when we get down to it, humankind wanted to take the reins and decide that what was right and what was wrong. Uh, basically, we wanted to be God. You know, we wanted to call the shots. 
So because of this, uh, you know, our sinful desire, we were separated from God because God is the source of life. We're now spiritually dead, separated from him, cut off from him. Um, and this is every, this is just everybody. This is all, all of humanity. If you're a, a human being and you're alive and breathing, or if you're dead, which I don't know how you're listening to this in that case, then Romans 3.23 applies to you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. But God had a plan. He made a promise that he would send a Messiah to rescue us. And we see that plan as far back as Genesis 3, where he says that he will crush the head of a serpent and his heel will be bruised. Um <clears throat> And so we, as we follow throughout Scripture and we lead up to this moment when Jesus arrives, um, we see that promise being fulfilled. And Jesus comes and he proves himself to be the promised Messiah through living this perfect, sinless life, basically being the human that we were designed to be. And ultimately what that leads to is he died in our place. Uh, he took all of our sin upon himself, trading out his perfect sinless life for our sinful lives, and died on the cross and fulfilled what Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then after he died, he rose from the dead. Um, he defeated sin and death by coming back to life on the third day and proving that you know he was God and he has the final say over over death and so now if we believe in him and we follow after him our relationship with God will be reestablished that separation ends and we're reconnected with him and he will keep us from that eternal separation just like John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How crazy is that to think about? It's pretty crazy. So, in simplest terms possible, we choose to do nothing but hurt, disobey, go against whatever uh, adjective you want to use there, God. And because his love for us and his desire to be with us, while it wasn't necessary, he doesn't need us. Right. But he wants us and chooses us was so great that he sent his only son who lived a pure and blameless life as the atonement for our downfall to, to bridge that gap, that separation. What do we do? Nothing. We, we literally can't do anything to accept it or to deserve it. We just accept it. Mm -hmm. Mind blowing. When you think about the weight of that. Yeah. And how timely we just celebrated Easter. That's right. And of course, you know, if, if you believe this and you choose to follow after him, then 
response comes out of that. Absolutely. And with that, a responsibility to share the gospel with other people, which is what we're going to start talking about here in a couple of weeks. Before we put a a bow on it, I think one part of the gospel that we, we forget is a continual repenting and believing. Yeah. It's not a one and done thing, which I feel like is probably a false gospel in, in and of itself. Now that I think about it, because we continually sin, we continually fall short to have that authentic desire to surrender to God is going to be a continual act. It's not, and I'm not trying to get into the debate on if you can lose your faith or not, or your salvation or not. That's nowhere near what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the heart's desire of a true um, child of God. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think it's a lifelong process of sanctification. Sanctification. Justified through the cross in Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, but then our sanctification is going to take the whole process of while we're alive. Absolutely. And that just means that just means go sanctification in a textbook term means the process of of becoming holy. But a good way to look at it is it's the process of becoming the human being that God created us to be. Yeah, growing closer to him and, mm-hmm. and more in his likeness. There you go, in his likeness. Not his image, his likeness. <laughs> you want to know why I specify that? Go check out our blog. So to recap, the gospel is not about God blessing you with finances and resources. It's not about you being able to handle your own problems or that God will never give you too much to handle. It's not about our hope in a political party, country, government. It's Jesus on the cross, in our place, for our sins, and his resurrection, reuniting people to a loving God. And your story is a beacon of light and hope in the darkest places. We were once dead in our sin, but Jesus met us. And all we have to do is choose to believe in who he is and what he did. Now you can use your story of being redeemed from death and separation to point others around you to the true Redeemer. Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing an episode with a friend. You can also follow us on social media. Just search underscore MV podcast on any platform. This podcast was created and produced by Kip Wilkinson and Micah Horvath. This episode was mastered and scored by J.A. Parkey. To learn more about this project, you can visit mvpodcast.org. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story.
yeah a good enough understanding and knowledge and opinions on those things that it shouldn't be too hard to corroborate something yeah. where did that word come from it's a very lawyer term <laughs> you've been watching law and order lately no 